Welcome to the Ascend Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Each week we delve deep with some of the brightest and most forward-thinking, out-of-the-box minds in health, consciousness, mindset, and spirituality. This show inspires our listeners to improve their body and mind, and our intention is to fuse and lock the conscious warrior and shift the balance in the current paradigm. can't really have it both ways you either have the freedom of speech or you do not and i think the in many instances beyond cell phones you can see that corporations have abused uh freedom of speech tactics in the u.s whether it's cigarette companies or cell phone companies or gmo companies so i think that it's something that is a slow shift and a slow change it just takes looking up and having these questions and answers out there i think that they will then tell their friends, and their friends will tell their friends and their family, and slowly the world changes. But the effects that it had on humans, they said, is that we feel cut off from the universe. We don't get to see stars. We don't get to think about our effects on this planet. We don't even realize we are on a planet and think that we're in a city. And so I think that that has very detrimental effects on our decision-making and consciousness in general. And I think we need to constantly be thinking about our health implications in terms of anything that we're consuming or putting in our body. Hey, what is up everyone? This is a bit of a contradictory subject as I know many of us on many occasions can overindulge in our technology. We are all constantly Facebooking or reading other people's Facebooking And this podcast wouldn't even exist in the first place. Technology is right in the mind of the human experience and the human desire to keep improving our technological advances. And we certainly cannot get away from the fact that we are constantly being bombarded by radio waves and Wi-Fi all the time. But that doesn't mean that we just have to play ignorance and don't have to think about it. As Alan Watts put it, with technology, we have something of great importance. We have developed a powerful technology We have a stronger means of changing the universe than has ever existed before. How are we going to use it? He talks about how there is a Chinese proverb that if the wrong man uses the right means, the right means works in the wrong way. Let's assume that our technological knowledge is the right means. Alan Watts' words are truer than ever and it has certainly come to a point in time where there's no doubt that we're in the middle of a huge change on this planet. And one of the biggest reasons that I can see is that we all carry around and have access to the current human knowledge from the past to the now, from academic studies to books to podcasts right in our hands. People talk about how humanity will change in the next 30 to 40 years, more than the 300 before. Technology is on the verge of becoming a part of us and we're living in a world where everything is connected and right now we're all in the central position of this raging tornado of technology. However, there is a huge, scary gorilla in the corner of the room to add to this equation we've yet to mention. Billions and billions of dollars. When you put together our innate drive to improve our technological advances and the need to continue creating more money, technology changes from just being an organic creation of humanity to a commodity. Now, this doesn't always have to be a bad thing, but greed and corruption have a weird way of slipping back into the human ethos, especially when major money can be made from an important area and on top of that 
when a corporation's main goal is to squeeze as much money as they possibly can, the well-being of human beings doesn't always blend in with that. So when certain people hold a piece of paper over their fellow human and corruption gets its way into our systems, we need a real oversight to what is really going on. This is why Kevin Kunz is on the show. Kevin is a filmmaker behind Mobilize, an investigative documentary exploring the negative long-term health effects of cell phone radiation. The film examines the recent scientific research, follows national legislation efforts and exposes the influence that technology companies have on our public health. Without a doubt, this episode has impacted the way I handle my technology. And some things that I do now is turn off all my technology before I go to bed, including my mobile phone, my Wi-Fi. And when I'm walking around listening to podcasts, I place my mobile phone on airplane mode. And I also place my phone in a rucksack so I can listen to podcasts when I'm walking around on certain occasions. And just being aware in general of overindulging in technology and taking time away from that and having a reset. So hopefully this podcast will also make you think too. But before we jump with this podcast, also please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And also don't forget to leave a review of the podcast as it really helps the podcast reach more people and make some more change. Anyway, guys, without further ado, Kevin Cullins. How, how's it going anyway? You okay? Yeah, I'm doing good. How are you guys doing tonight? Yeah, we're yeah, doing really well. Yeah, I would just like to say, Kevin, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, of course. You're welcome. Um, I always love promoting Mobilize. Um, it was recently... Uh, I'm not sure if you heard about this. This past week, uh, Berkeley's cell phone legislation was back in court in the U.S. Oh, wow. We never, we never heard that, did we? No, no. Yeah. So there's you know ongoing effects of the film, even in uh, American politics. So it's, it's one of these so it's a, Yeah, so it's a very interesting time. That's very interesting. I think as well, uh, Kevin, I think the the whole like concept of like the documentary of mobilizing tech in general, it's... It is. It's such an interesting. Um, it's such an important topic at this moment as well. And it's a. I think it's a subject matter as well that it's very inconvenient to think about, and I think it's even more inconvenient to think about now, even more so where nearly every person on the globe now is indulging in, in tech as well and carrying around a mobile in the pocket, and it's probably even more so than when you first started doing your research. Probably on, on the documentary, and I think as well in this like I think why this conversation is going to be so important because. Obviously, you touch on the health effects of cell phone radiation. I think it really needs to be heard. And I know um, as well, um, obviously, in the near future as well, everyone is probably, if you think about it, probably everyone's still going to keep using the mobile phones. But I think we still need to have that like that understanding of like what the hell's going on, if you know what I mean. I, I think what I like about you, Kevin, as well, is you really talk about the safety issues and look at the whole like consensus around these big companies, like blocking information, blocking studies. And there's a lot of information that does really need to be heard, heard and aware of as well. Yeah, um, that was sort of one of the biggest things that I realized early on is, you know, I really wanted to make an unbiased film and hear both sides of the argument, um, whether cell phones are dangerous or whether they are conclusively safe. And what I realized is that the cell phone lobbying group, the CTIA, doesn't really do interviews with the media. I kept trying to find quotes online and it's you very rarely can find them quoted even within this past week with Berkeley's lawsuit you have this uh, really well-known attorney 
Um, and he is not even talking to reporters. Meanwhile, on our end of um, the um, legislation, we have an attorney who loves to talk with reporters and explain his opinion. And, and so it sort of dawned on me really early that they just don't like to have a conversation about it. They don't want to bring it up in the news or the media at all. And I think it's they're able to pressure journalists not to cover it or at least editors not to publish it because they are at the current point, um, you know, they have more advertisements in newspapers and online for cell phones than cars. So it's really um, the largest advertiser, I feel, of uh, most media companies right now. Or newspapers, yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting when you said that, Kevin, about like people not wanting to put this forward. I was wondering, like, did you overcome any like struggles, like when you tried to get this documentary out there? Well, I could tell you, um, it was definitely a struggle to make the film. We spent like three, four years working on it, and um, you know, I, I really tried to hear the cell phone industry side of things. I even uh, traveled all the way to Washington D.C. Um, and they refused to speak with me. And I was speaking with my cousin, and he, he kind of gave me the idea. They have a, a conference that happens every year in San Diego at the same location that Comic-Con is held, this huge, huge cell phone conference that used to be in San Francisco until they tried to pass uh, radiation safety legislation. So he said, you know, why don't you go down there and uh, interview them there? You know, maybe, maybe you can get them to do an interview if you, you go to their turf and sort of surprise them. And at the time, I really didn't have the money to do it, uh, to buy a press pass or a media pass. And, and he kindly offered the, the funds to do that. So it was sort of little acts of generosity like that that helped the movie get made slowly. Um, but essentially, I ended up going down there to the conference and I, I showed all these different cell phone, um, you know, uh, employees this information that's in every manual and fine print telling people how to use it safer and, and advising them to keep it away from their body by at least an inch or two. And when I showed them this information, they were almost blown away. And after doing that for about an hour, hour and a half, um, security came up to us and, and said, okay, we'll, we'll do an interview. You can talk with, you know, one of the lobbyists for the CTIA, but, but please don't, don't ask any more questions questions of these people at this conference you're really you're really ruining the conference for us <laughs> and so yeah and, and so i was sort of blown away by that but um i had a friend there who um, both of his parents are attorneys and so i was like all right you know we're just going to keep going for it and uh we did the interview um with the lobbyist tom wheeler and he basically confessed during the interview that the ctia is in bed with the federal communications commission or the organization that regulates cell phone radiation safety um, and that they meet with them 500 times in a year, which seemed like an astronomical number at first. It, it's like they're meeting with them uh, multiple times a day um, to discuss, you know, uh, things that are behind closed doors in honesty. And, uh, and so the interview went on for like about 15 minutes maybe. And I was really grilling this guy. I started with uh, softball questions. That's how you, you typically will do interviews. You, you don't want to, you know, throw the, the hardest questions out first. But I knew <laughs> I, I had a question at the end that would completely grill him. And um, I asked him if cell phones can be made safer. And they basically refused to answer it. They said, nope, nope, we're not going to. And he walked off. 
Hello. And it sort of made the made the interview in many ways. But um yeah, it was a, a very important interview to get because many reporters don't aren't able to get them to do, say anything. And because I, I persisted and I went to DC and I went to San Diego, I followed them and I I uh sort of caused a little bit of a scene in some ways during that conference. Um we were able to to get that footage, but thereafter they didn't let us film at all. Um even though we had purchased two media badges, they said that my uh, friend who's doing the camera work wasn't allowed to film and I could be the only person filming. I guess they kind of realized that I, I knew all the factual information. Uh, so <laughs> it, it really, um, it was kind of a ridiculous situation, to be honest. And um, I, I honestly, it, it bothers me that organization continues to sue cities and states that try and pass this legislation. Because at the end of the day, like you said, people are going to continue to buy cell phones and use them, and the point isn't to get people to stop using them, it's just to educate them on how they can be used safer. I think of it like a car. For a long time, a car didn't have an airbag or a seatbelt, and it took years and years of regulation and years of lobbying and efforts made by Ralph Nader and other people, and many people died in car accidents, and it could have been avoided if we had uh, adopted these things sooner. And in terms of cell phones, we, we have pretty good evidence since the 70s that uh, cell phone radiation or similar uh, radiation can cause hazardous health effects. And this is research coming from, uh, you know, organizations uh, funded by the federal government, uh, you know. So I think yeah. that that's, that's pretty strong evidence, and it just seems like every year another study comes out that points further in the direction. Um, so I don't know. I, I really think that, you know, if we were to adopt safety regulation, the benefit would be people can be safer and uh, avoid this unnecessary radiation. And um, the downside would be nothing. Um, you know, the cell phone companies would still make tons of money. They could still sell big data. Um, people would still buy headphones, um, but maybe they wouldn't buy the wireless headphones like Apple is currently trying to tout with their new iPhone 7. I don't know if you guys want to talk about current topics like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I want, I want to, I will definitely touch on that, Kevin. Um, but some, before you, said, I think you raised a good point because when you were talking about, um, like when you mentioned some of the struggles as well that to get it out there, I think, I think it's, it's a really, I think that's a good constant reminder that story that you said that. There is such like dictation from these big companies, like from Coca-Cola, alcohol, even pharmaceutical companies as well. And even if you look at pharmaceutical companies now, they're like even dictating the uh, dictating the research. Sorry, on like natural medicines. And even, I think, and I think in your case as well, what what you just said before, it's that's shown to me that that's certainly no different. And I think it's it's just so scary because it's something that does harm our health. It needs to be looked at. And when when you said you did come against all these threats, like and people sort of trying to suppress you, that's certainly got to raise questions like to the whole like public perception in the minds, definitely. Yeah, it just seemed like even when I spoke with um, people who I felt like had unbiased views, like Steve Wozniak, um, co-founder of Apple, you know, he had a big background in mobile telephony. And, um, you know, he's uh, he'd been on the board of cell phone companies like the Flip Phone uh, for T-Mobile, and, uh, you know, Apple, of course, but um, he very much felt like, you know, I don't, I'm not going to use the cell phone next to my head 
but I'm also not going to go on top of a rooftop and shout it out and let tons of people know. Yeah. It's like I'm going to protect mine and my family, and I don't want to cause any – stir up any trouble because, you know, he admitted he still gets paychecks from Apple. You know, he still probably has a lot of mobile stock. I think a lot of it comes down to people, um, you know, they don't want to believe because of the fact that they've uh, done this for so long. It's almost like harder to believe a, a simple truth because of the fact that, you know, it's like their favorite toy might be causing them brain cancer. And instead of accepting that reality, they can continue to pretend like the last 10 years or 15 years that they've been using the phone like that was completely safe. Um, and I think, you know, that power of denial is very, very strong. Even when I was doing the documentary, I, I felt like, you know, show me the conclusive evidence. And it really is one of these things where the more you look at the picture, the more puzzle pieces you can fill in. Uh, the more detailed that picture becomes and the more conclusive I feel that cell phones do pose a danger and a hazard to human beings and animals and anything that is close to it um, because it does emit radiation. It might be at smaller levels of radiation, but it's a long-term exposure. And what I realized is that when you look at the studies funded by the cell phone industry versus studies that were independently funded, those that were independently funded that were done over 10 years or more showed pretty conclusive evidence that cell phones do cause cancer. And brain tumors that are ipsilateral are on the same side in which people use their phone. Um, and it's important that the, the studies were done over 10 years because if you look at a short-term study, you're not really going to see those latencies of cancer. Um, it's sort of like a, an easy way to cheat statistics. And, uh, you know, I'm not a mathematician, but certainly uh, the statistics on this really point in the direction of precaution and safety. And a lot of governments have taken that stance. Unfortunately, in the U.S., we have a lot of lobbying that happens at the federal level, and that has very detrimental effects, I believe, on public health uh, and regulation. Mm. I, th I think, Kevin, I think you're absolutely right, like, and... Um I think a lot of people are actually thinking as well, like, oh, the government is going to step in and protect us as well. And that's when something popped into my mind and raised the question for me is like, are they? Because um, I, I was reading something before about um, Sony Ericsson and how they sent um, like weapon-grade technology to Iran, who's obviously like an enemy of the US. And so the US obviously wasn't happy in the blackball the deal, really. But then uh, something interesting was like Ericsson then paid like Bill Clinton um, 750000 to make a speech. And then Hillary Clinton, at, at, um, when she was senator, um, progressed the deal and said it was a, a good deal and, it, and she sanctioned it. So I think the government aren't really going to protect us in the sense of they just weren't ready to protect themselves and ready to protect their own interests. And I think that's, that's what we really need to start thinking out is like this might be the government aren't looking out for us and we need to look out for ourselves and we need to start taking action. Yeah, one one of the strangest things that I discovered while making the film, and I would say this is, you know, not really a conclusive piece of evidence in terms of danger, but it certainly speaks to what you're saying about companies and people not looking out for uh, our health and safety. I basically um, dug up this interview that Richard Branson did in 1996 about um, cell phones and the possible dangers. Uh, 
and he compared it with the next cigarettes. And he talked about his friend who died of a brain tumor, which he believed was from his cell phone, and that he only uses a wired headset. And um, about a month after he put out that interview, he formed Virgin Mobile, which is a cell phone company. They're actually one of the first ones to start selling all of their headset with headsets. But um, the fact is, he's never really spoken up about it ever since the interview and ever since he put money on it. Ended up making over a billion dollars off of it uh, later when he sold it. Um, it's still held under the Virgin name, but it's actually owned by other people, and he has no liability in the event of lawsuits. Um, yet he continues to do commercials, and if you look at the commercials now compared to when he initially did them, he only uses a headset in the commercials. So it's sort of like a subtle way of telling people that. And even if you go into Apple and look at the first iPhone in 2007, they kind of became iconic for the white headphones. And it it really became like a symbol when you saw people walking down the street, those white headphones, you knew it was an Apple iPhone. And if you notice in all of their commercials practically, they use speakerphone or these headsets. You never see someone holding it next to their head. And that's because they're afraid of the legal implications. If they were to show people doing that, then people could use that in a lawsuit later against them. Mm. I think that's really another interesting point that we need to start taking, taking looking, looking into ourselves as well. And um, Kevin, when we were talking about um, independent studies and uh, funding studies as well in the, in the industry, um, in 2011, I found this as well. Uh, the World Health Organization stepped in themselves and wanted to really understand and verify both start both parties because like you said before they both had completely different results and um, they sent experts all over and they found that in conclusion mobile phones there is evidence linking mobile phones to cancer they actually verified it themselves the World Health Organization they list so, it as a, a class 2b which is um, possible carcinogen which yes. is includes a lot of different things ranging from DDT to coffee. Um, but that was a huge, huge step for them to list as a possible carcinogen. It's probably going to get pushed up to probable carcinogen within the next 10 years. Um, but right now, uh, what I can tell you with that study, they looked with that um, classification, they looked at over 900 studies on cell phone radiation um, dating back you know, to the 60s. And they used all 900 of those studies to come up with that evidence uh, pointing in that direction. I interviewed a couple of different people who were involved with that and came up with that designation, one of them in- including John Samet, who um, is- was tapped by Obama to be National Cancer Board member. I spoke with him at USC, uh, where he's also a professor. And um, it was one of the weirdest interviews I've ever done. Um, whenever I would ask him a question, he would like quickly run outside, be like, hold on one second and like come back in and like, you know, he really didn't want to answer some of these questions that I had for him. So it's one of these instances where I feel like to a certain extent when people do come out and speak the truth and they're very high level, I think in some instances the, the industry might, might pay them off, uh, in terms of, you know, it's buying them a, you know, ticket on the cancer board or buying them a hospital in some instances. Um, I think they have more than enough money to do that, and that's what that nonprofit is for. Um, 
but yeah, it, it definitely has strong implications. You, you can almost look at any major building complex in sports, um, and, and every major sports complex tends to have a cell phone company as, as a huge sponsor, uh, whether it's AT&T Park in San Francisco or, you know, Oracle Arena in Oakland. Uh, the, the America tends to have a lot of uh, contact with these telecom companies in terms of infrastructure and buildings. And um, I think it, it does have high-level implications where somebody might automatically flip-flop on the decision uh, or flip-flop on their stance on the subject. And I've seen that a couple of different times. So it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. It is. It's a scary beast, that, Kevin. And I think as well before, Kevin, when you talked about how um, these companies do have so much like invested interest in these like different companies and, and all these different uh, avenues and stuff. But as something I brought to my mind there, Kevin, is because I know obviously you got you did eventually get your documentary into the um, film festival. But I actually read somewhere that uh, film festivals were also like um, sponsored by uh, like telephone uh, companies, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, we submitted to all the major festivals. We spoke with some very high level distributors, um, and what I kind of came to discover is in a lot of instances uh, these film festivals. Pretty much every major one, Sundance to South by Southwest to, you know, Tribeca, will have a major cell phone company as a sponsor. And traditionally, this can range from, you know, $10,000 to maybe up to $100,000 annually for these festivals. And a lot of them, if you break down um, their revenue and their budgets, they're they're actually not making a ton of money from ticket sales, but they're making a large sum from their sponsorship. Um, and so it sort of creates this uh, cyclical cycle where I really don't think any – and it's not just cell phone companies that are sponsors for these festivals. Let me let me clarify that. You have you know a, a beer sponsor, a hard alcohol sponsor. You have an airplane sponsor because you've got to get the actors from the airport. Uh, wherever they're coming from, they need to come into the festival. You have a car sponsor in order to get them from the airport to the film festival. You might have a hotel sponsor. Um, so in a lot of these instances, I feel like it could have detrimental effects on what documentaries actually get into festivals. Um, you know, if you, for instance, make a film that is very critical of airlines and airline safety, and you have, you know, Delta as a major sponsor of Sundance, they might say, hey, somebody else will put out this film. We need to, we can't screw ourselves on this sponsorship. So I think that that, that has some implications. Yeah, definitely. Kevin, before as well, I think you touched on this a little bit. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned about um, how the, the cell phones have information like um, bur- like buried within them deep, like on the, in the manuals and things like that. But I, I want to touch on that because... Is, is that true that like the information is out there within these cell phone manuals, but it's just buried like small in the print? Yes, yes. And in uh, some instances with the iPhone back when, you wouldn't even be able to zoom in on that text. Like normally you can use your fingers to zoom in on text. You weren't able to do that. You can try and flip your phone. It won't make the text any bigger. And it's like such small print that you can barely read it. Um, since the iPhone has, has updated it, made it a little bit bigger, but it's still buried within folders upon folders upon folders in your settings. And um, really, it needs to be something that is presented to the customer when they purchase the phone so they can say at that point in time whether they want to use that information or not. 
and whether they they think there is a possibility of of long term health effects from radiation, then they can use that advice uh, to you know uh, prevent that. And this is what we did in Berkeley with legislation that was influenced by the film. Um, but uh, you know it's been passed, and uh, several cell phone companies uh, and stores in Berkeley have put this information out for people. Um, but in some instances, like the Apple Store, uh, where you have the um, the cashier constantly roaming around the store, and you're able to make a purchase anywhere within the store, they're not presenting you that information. They're putting that information all the way at the back of the store at the Genius Bar. So it sort of shows how Apple is continuing to ignore this issue and not even trying to consider it as an issue. Because the second that they start making a conversation people take notice. And if they don't say anything, if they just keep their mouths quiet, then people think there's no issue whatsoever. Mm. That's, that's really interesting as well. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, I think uh, I'd like to address some, another issue as well. Like, um, And what are some of like, the most important things that people should be aware of when it comes to the effects of like cell phone radiation? Well, one thing I would say is that if you're going to look at any study beyond the, the brain cancer studies, you can look at studies done on sperm reduction and damage. And there are about a dozen studies on this, ranging from the Cleveland Clinic to uh, research done uh, at Yale with uh, pregnancy and fertility. But with these sperm studies, what you have is usually they're done in a test tube. They're very controlled, and you don't really have the cell phone industry trying to replicate these studies to disprove them because they're so simple to do and all of them show that there is reduction in damage not just from three hours of cell phone radiation in your pocket but just from one hour so i think that's pretty strong information if you really want to look at science and research i would say if you want to look at something in terms of politics the strongest piece of information right now in the u.s is that you have a guy who's a feverish lobbyist for the cell phone industry, which has sued San Francisco and Berkeley and several other cities and states. And the guy who used to be the CEO of this organization, CTIA, has become the chairman of the FCC, the organization in the, in the federal government, which oversees radiation and cell phone safety. And that's pretty frightening. Um, he... I, there's footage out there, I didn't include this in the film, but he has said that he did not want a seat in politics, but he did help Obama win substantially with his first election by enabling cell phones. And I even remember this election day, I was in college before I even knew about the cell phone issue, and I got tons of text messages about Obama and like to remember to vote that day. So it's sort of funny how it comes back to you. Yeah, but um, he, he was a major lobbyist, a major funder. I think we include in the film how much money he gave to Obama's campaign. And once again, he said on the record, oh, I'm never going to you know, have a spot in, in federal government. I'm retired, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's written books on civil war and boring stuff. And um, he essentially flip-flopped and is now the chairman of in the U.S., probably the most important organization in terms of safety regulation for cell phones. So that's frightening. That's that's probably the most scary thing I could tell you about the politics and those implications, as well as the fact that um, the organization 
organization he used to work for, CTIA, continues to fight the federal government, claiming that they have freedom of speech as corporations. They're basically saying, oh yeah, we're required by the federal government to include this warning label, but um, we don't want to make it in big print because we have freedom of speech not to make this big print. And and really that's that's kind of crazy. It's almost like they're trying to talk out of both sides of their mouth. Um, and, and you can't really have it both ways. You either have the freedom of speech or you do not. And I think the in many instances beyond cell phones, you can see that corporations have abused uh, freedom of speech tactics in the U.S., whether it's cigarette companies or cell phone companies or um, GMO companies, you know. So yeah. I, I think it has widespread implications. Yeah, I think it certainly does as well, Kevin. But just to jump back as well, because something you said as well about you talking about how um, like the radiation affects the, uh, the sperm account. And this actually made me quite think a lot because I think a lot of people, when they think about radiation, like via a mobile phone, they sometimes just like in the head, they think it's, they think it's just about the effects like on the head when they're, when they're calling people. But I think one big thing they bring up is because a lot of people do carry mobile phones like within the pockets. And yeah. I think that's a big thing. And that really, that was a big like uh, like raised questions for me in my mind as well because like is it I was wondering like is it um is there a way around that like is there is if if you like play because I know a lot of people who listen to this as well which will be beneficial for them because I thought about this because I listen to a lot of podcasts but is it like is it more beneficial to have it on like airplane mode let's say like do you know that or not I'll tell you I'll tell you what I do personally you know we spent half the interview talking about all on the negative side I'll tell you all the positive stuff. Because I'm a huge technology advocate. I'm not sure if I mentioned that. I do virtual reality movies. I, I do all sorts of things uh, with technology. I'm you know, using a laptop right now. But um, what I do personally is I usually carry a backpack and put it in a side pouch on the side there. Or if I'm at my office, I put it on the desk. If I am uh, going down the street, sometimes I'll carry it because I might get a text message or something. I might not notice in the pocket. But I, I don't ever put it in my pocket, and um, it's because of these fa this fact. Your your current mobile phone has four antennas in it that are pretty much in constant communication. You got your GPS, you got your Wi-Fi, you got your cellular, and you got your Bluetooth. And depending what you have going on in your you know office or your home, all of those antennas could be in use at the same time. Um, so I, I personally would never put it that close to my reproductive organs. You know, I just, I want to have kids one day and it just doesn't seem like the smartest idea. Um, and, and you could even look at, you know, a very anecdotal study that Tim Ferriss did. He's a best-selling author. He did a book called The 4-Hour Body and he measured his own testosterone, um, as well as sperm count and he saw detrimental effects when he kept his cell phone on his person. So I always say, you know, if you absolutely need to put it in your pocket, turn off the phone. Um, a lot of times I'll be at social events like dinners and, uh, you know, uh, movie theater uh, screenings. And if I have my cell phone on, I'm not really gaining anything. If I look at my phone in the middle of a movie, people are going to think I'm an asshole. <laughs> you know, so I'd rather turn the phone off and save battery life, which is another benefit of turning it off. Um, I, I used to turn it on and off quite often. 
now I tend to leave it on, but I'll I'll tend to keep it further away from me. I'll put it on the desk, or I'll if I'm you know in a movie theater that I may need to take a phone call and step out, I could always put it in the cup holder, and face it away so when the light shines, it doesn't blare the audience. Um, there's evidence of the fact that, and this this points to the fact that cell phone companies do know that cell phone radiation causes danger. Um, you have two sides of your cell phone, right? One that you speak into, and then the other side of the phone. So what they currently do right now is more cell phones point the radiation away from you when you're speaking. So it's not going directly into your head. And the reason that they do this is because it loses signal. So that's another thing. If you're in a low signal area and you put the cell phone next to your ear, you're making it less signal, you know? So... Essentially, cell phone companies currently point more of the radiation and more of the antenna signal away from your head using the backside of your cell phone. So that's another thing. If you absolutely need to put it in your jacket pocket or put it somewhere, you can always face it away in that direction, and that, that can help you out a little bit. But I, I would highly recommend turning it off. Turning it on airplane mode is good because then you're not in communication with those antennas as well. But I just turn it off completely, to be honest, because uh, especially when you hear about these Samsung phones exploding, you really don't want it to explode right next to your reproductive organs. just doesn't seem like a smart idea to store it there. I don't have yeah. like a cell phone uh, antenna stored down there. I don't put my Wi-Fi router there. Um, Steve Aoki, who's a, a pretty famous DJ who I interviewed in the film, spoke very candidly on it. Even speaking on on his laptop, he would never put his laptop on his uh, reproductive organs. And he said, "You don't want to fry your balls. They're your balls." <laughs> you know, I, I think that's a very true and funny statement. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, Kevin, I'm so glad you brought it up because I think it, it is it's such a crucial area that need to be touched on because I think people aren't really wanting to hear all this, and I think it's so I'm so glad that you brought like brought that up. And as well, Kevin, before as well, when you start, you did you did mention like the, you said that you. You're not just like uh, downgrading uh, technology. You're sort of like an advocate as well. I mean, I think we all are. But something I wanted to touch on as well, which sparked in my mind as well, is like the current power of the technology. Because I think we are like at a very interesting time. Like, there's no doubt about it. Like, if you think about it, our um, our technological advances are, are like also being a, a huge imprint on the human evolution. If you really think about it, and also in my opinion, arguably like our consciousness as well. I mean, the amount of people that can access a podcast like this one. I mean. And access your documentary as well on the internet as well. I mean, that'll make like people question the world differently. I mean, it's it's certainly there to see, and that information it is accessible in your pocket everywhere in the world. But I think that dilemma of the balance between them two worlds it is a really hard one for people to get their head around. Yeah, we really tried to convince uh, condense the argument down to eighty four minutes within the film we realize, you know, we're in an age where people uh, are kind of, in a way, ADD, and I am myself, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, in some ways, I almost wish I could have reworked it as a TV series, because um, there is a lot more evidence and information that we didn't get to include in the film. And I think, uh, you know, the more information that you put out there, the more it paints the picture that cell phones are dangerous. And, you know, that's that's the biggest argument that I would have, I guess, is... If by the end of my documentary you still don't feel like cell phones are conclusively dangerous, Google it and you'll you'll see some more evidence. You know that maybe we didn't get a chance to include or that came out after the film was released. Um, overall, I would say though that 
my cell phone use has probably increased since making the movie. I I'm addicted to my cell phone, and I think that's that's something that you know there are lots of studies on that people have a fear of not having their cell phone, and I sometimes have this fear, like where did I put it? And um, oftentimes I just think though at the end of the day. I'm I'm just happy that I learned this information and I prevented myself from years of radiation damage. Um, you know, and it's really simple how to to prevent this. It's just sort of breaking a bad habit, but in the same instance, you still get the same benefits of using all the technology. I don't feel in any way by not holding the cell phone next to my head am I not getting as much use out of my phone as the guy next to me who is causing possible brain damage. Hmm. So yeah, that's ter- oh, sorry, I was just going to say that's a terrifying fact, really. That I think we all need to start understanding is that the radiation is there, it, even though we can't see it. It is there. I think that's probably the most challenging part for it is that people don't want to accept it because they can't see it. And it's like you mm. can't believe what you can't see. And so in the film, we try and use uh, diagrams to show radiation fields and how they move. But there's even more frightening footage that's come out where people have made mobile apps where you can actually see wireless uh, radiation moving and cell towers, and it's like a constant like beam be- basically being shot at you from all directions. Um, yeah. It's pretty frightening. We're, um, in the words of my executive producer, Deborah Davis, we're in a sea of wireless radiation. And the last time we did an actual national survey of how much radiation is out there was around the 60s or the 70s. So we really don't know about the um, – what, basically what – there are two different uh, definitions. There's near field, which is the cell phone right next to your head, and then there's far field, which would be like me on my laptop and you know it, the wireless routers in the other room and that radiation needs to pass through me to get there or bounces around the room to get there. So mm-hmm. – um, you know, the evidence and information about far field radiation is quite frightening as well, but I feel it's harder um, to prove and it's harder to show conclusivity. But there are many people in the world who believe that they have um, electro hypersensitivity from being near and around these wireless routers. And this was the subject of uh, a television series, Better Call Saul. Um, which is done by the creator Vince Gilligan of Breaking Bad. It's a really well-done series. And uh, you almost see these things in the media all the time. And in fact, in Breaking Bad, you have uh, at one point a character discussing cell phone radiation in a a crazy, cracked-out monologue, of course. But I think this is Vince Gilligan being very sophisticated and smart. And he's sort of like uh, Shakespeare in a way, where Shakespeare would use the jester or the homeless person to tell the ultimate truths of the play and of reality in society. And I think Vince Gilligan does this too with his crazy and manic characters sometimes in the background. Yeah, yeah. I think we're all the homeless people as well, really, aren't we? So we, we want to be the truth of the story, and I think that's what we're really pushing at right now. And I think that's why, Kevin, like we, we at this right in this moment, we're at that crucial stage of the future. And I think, Kevin... Like, we're at this turning point in the world where, like, iPhones, laptops, cell phones, they all dominate, like, our modern world. And everywhere we look outside, like, we see people busy on their devices, like, driving, walking, shopping, in restaurants, 
with your family, with your friends. And while connected electronically, there's an argument like it's a connection and that a connection that is beyond the state of this physical reality. And with the emerging of like virtual reality on the cusp, like that could be another major hazard and another form of technology which leaves us disconnected from physical reality and our friends and family. Yeah, um, there's a really frightening film about this called The Congress, um, which premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. And uh, basically the premise of that film is that eventually actors and musicians will um, have 3D, 360 scans done of themselves and they'll be able to, people will be able to buy a virtual avatar and let's say I want to be Han Solo and that's like who I walk around looking like, I could buy that avatar and be Han Solo, you know. And, uh, you know, that's funny in that instance, but in the film what ends up happening is when someone takes off their goggles, so to speak, and looks around, they see the world is in quite disarray and many people are starving and homeless and I think we're sort of in that world of, like, you know, it's the best times and worst of times where you have such an inequality of wealth, especially in the Bay Area. Um, but I'd say across a lot of spectrums. And, uh, you know, I think that a big factor is going to be empathy. And if more people can empathize with different issues like homelessness or brain cancer, and what they say is that, you empathize with different things and different issues, different nationalities and religions through media. And whether virtual reality can be uh, the biggest empathy machine or it could cause us to go in this downward spiral is certainly the biggest question that I have. And it's something that you almost need to see how it plays out. But from what I've seen currently, the studies done on virtual reality and the effects on perception are quite telling. Um, for instance, one study that I've heard of that's completely anecdotal deals with people who are put through virtual reality experiences and they actually uh, made them look in the mirror and they saw themselves as a different nationality, um, let's say African-American. And and so they started after that study, they did surveys with them and they had a greater sense of empathy for a short time thereafter with that that. Uh, um, background. Mm. Uh, Kevin, I think that's amazing what you said. Like when people can like people are going to get all these different forms of virtual reality where it can be like Han Solo and everything, and kind of like when they take off the goggles, like they'll see like the reality again, and they'll be obviously like disheartened with what they see. But I think that's what people are doing right now is like the people are pretending like the Han Solo people are pretending there's something else and that there's not a problem in the world, and they're already. They already have got their um, goggles on, and that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I think a lot of people go around with their their shades on, and they don't want to see documentaries because they're afraid that documentaries are boring. But in reality, they reveal a lot of truths, and they they can be extremely entertaining. Um, but I think just in general, people don't like to defer from the norm, whatever that norm is, whether it's violence on television or or sex on television. They don't want to have to think about something you know at the end of the day do you you know you get at home and you're sitting in bed and you're watching something do you really want to think about you know this thing that I've had for 20 years next to my brain and that's you know right next to my pillow right now could possibly be causing me danger um I think a lot of people have that self-denial and really it takes them you know it, it took me uh several months before I really really uh started to 
um, change my behavior in addition to uh, start strongly advocating for safety legislation. So I think that it's something that is a slow shift and a slow change. But I I feel like you know if everyone uh, comes to this conclusion in their mind, which it doesn't take too much time. It just takes looking up and having these questions and answers out there. I think that they will then tell their friends and their friends will tell their friends and their family and slowly the world changes. And instead of just these tech companies and telecom people who know about it, um, I think the entire world will find out that this is a universal truth. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree, Kevin. And um, as well, someone I wanted to mention as well, because um, some of our thought of theirs, a lot of it, which is very interesting and ties into that, what you were saying is a lot of, um, a lot of futurists like um, talk about how, which is very, it's very interesting to try and wrap your head around this, but they, they talk about how in order to save like humanity, we must lose it, which is a hard one to wrap your head around because they talk about how the survival of the human race depends on um, advancements in technology and they talk about how the planet will eventually like become like sustainable, like uh, oh, sorry, unsustainable for life. But what's an interest, interesting one to me is that um, the unpredictable, but sorry, the unpredictability of technology and the direction because it makes me think like we're barely aware of the smallest implications of, like, of some of these technologies we are developing, like the virtual reality that's going to come up. But most importantly for me, the balance like from the natural world is a really interesting one because we're living in a world now where we're already full of these radio waves. And we, we need, we need, I think we need to start really like start thinking about it, and we need to like tread carefully because it may get to a point where we value like technology and neglect the natural world, and I think that that could be a scary time. Like, yeah, there's this great documentary um, that came out a long time ago called The City Dark. It was like in 2007, 2006, and this film is all about light pollution and the effects that it has on uh, possibly cancer but more psychological effects and the effects on animals as well, where you have, um, you know, one of the biggest buildings being Trump Tower in New York, shining lights all night long, and you have these baby turtles appearing at the, uh, the beach. And turtles, as, you know, when they're first born, their natural tendency is to go toward the sunrise, where their sun most near. And instead of heading in that direction, they're heading toward New York City, where there's all this light blaring, and essentially they're, you know, in some ways dying off because of that. And there are other instances of this, too, with birds crashing into things and, you know, all sorts of stuff. But the effects that it had on humans, they said, is that we feel cut off from the universe. We don't get to see stars. We don't get to think about our effects on this planet. We don't even realize we are on a planet. We think that we're in a city. And so I think that that has very detrimental effects on our decision-making and consciousness in general. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if you think about Kevin, like you said there, this if you really do think about this generation is a fascinating one. We're either going to create this like nice balance or we're going to lose this like total connection from the natural world. And I think it is, it's a really interesting like time. It's tricky. It's like we have more media being produced in the world on YouTube than you can physically be able to watch at this point in time. You can't keep up with how much is put out there. And it's going to be um, up to people to decide whether they're going to consume junk and they're going to you know, just watch silly cat videos, which I love cat videos. I include my cat in my daily <laughs> VR videos. But um, I, I also try and, you know 
put on top of that sprinklings of, of truth and reality about what's going on currently. And, you know, for instance, with the iPhone, with these wireless headphones, seems like a bad idea. And I think very few people are bringing up the health implications of that. They're just talking about why they think it's shitty from a business standpoint. And I think we need to constantly be thinking about our health implications in terms of anything that we're consuming or putting in our body. I think one of the biggest uh, misdealings with cell phones is the fact that they emit invisible radiation. So, for instance, in the U.S., pretty much everything you put in your body, whether it's a drug or a food, uh, is covered by the FDA, which has a number of doctors and scientists in, uh, who regulate it. For some reason, cell phones, when we, we looked at them, we didn't think anything was being put through our body, so we assumed that they should be covered by the FCC, which is in charge of telecom and technology, and that's about it. And so they have no doctors or advisors on their board, and I think that's sort of why it's been able to get along so as long as it has. Um, and essentially, I think that if people came up with the universal truth and saw one image, there's this one image that shows how much radiation goes in the head of children versus adults. If you Google this image, you'll see it was actually an image produced by Motorola, and I interviewed uh, the doctor who did that research. Om Gandhi is his name. And what you see in that image is that humans absorb radiation to their brain from cell phones. And it goes about a fourth of the way into your brain. With children, it goes almost halfway because they have thinner skulls and developing brains. I think if many people saw the image, they would immediately empathize and understand a lot more about this issue. Um, but it's, you know, someone needs to put up money and make an advertising campaign with just that image and in a short text explanation of it. Um, I think that would have major, major effects and it doesn't take a lot of money to do that, but that person can automatically affect thousands of millions of people with probably not a lot of money. And there are tons of ideas that I've had about this in terms of public art displays, almost like Banksy-esque sort of things. Um, That'd be cool, it would be really cool. I'm, I'm amazed that Banksy hasn't done something with it yet. But one thing you'll see is that, that mainstream media companies actually have done this quite a bit. You can see references about cell phone radiation in TV shows ranging from House of Cards to The Office. Um, it definitely is brought up a lot, and I think it will continue to be brought up more as more people think about it. I've had very candid conversations with some big Hollywood producers about this issue, and and trying to get them to take action on it, whether they make comedy or drama. You know, I think everyone can can appeal to this being an important issue. And, you know, I, I'll give you another example. When Ralph Nader was trying to get self was trying to get um airbags put in cars, he went on SNL and did skits about that with a blow up doll, like a blow up sex doll, making fun of the fact about airbags. And it was a hit, and, and it made people realize a lot more about that issue because it had that double-edged sword of being entertaining yet also factual and having a lot of important info getting across. And there are a lot of great people doing this right now. Like John Oliver, I think, is amazing. Um, he's gone after Tom Wheeler quite a few times, uh, the FCC chairman I was talking about earlier. Uh, so, you know, I think it's all about media companies really having the biggest effect on societal change and, and you guys making podcasts is a big part of that 
Yeah, definitely. I think I was just going to say that. I think it. I think it's so crucial the exposure that people can give to people because people don't realise that if what one person carries an action out, like people don't realise how that could create like this huge ripple effect, just effect by effect in one person. They can tell their family members, and I think that's beautiful. But something I want to touch on before because. Yeah, when you brought it up, and I'm so glad you brought it up, was when you talked about the exposure to young children. I think it's such a crucial, crucial one because, and I'm really, I'm really, I'm so glad you brought it up because a child's brain is so much different. And like you said before, a child's child's risk, they're like they're at a greater risk, sorry, from the cell phone use. And I actually, I know there's some um, there's some warnings that they shouldn't they shouldn't even be using mobile phones at all. And I think that's so interesting because obviously, like you said before, the the child's brain absorbs twice much as radiation as, than the adult and I think that's so that's so scary that like people are allowing their children to indulge in all these like all these mobile phones all the time I know it's probably a bit contradictory coming from that perspective because the parents are still using them but I just think it's a crucial point that needs to be brought up yeah and you know who should really be bringing it up is the president of the United States who actually doesn't allow his daughters to use the cell phone until I think they were 13 wow yeah that's that's Obama's kids so and and you know it goes across the board even even if you spoke with Steve Jobs back when there are quotes you can dig up on this Steve Jobs is a low tech parent apparently he wouldn't let his kids use the iPhone or iPads and things until they were much older um, yeah and so i think that you know there's a lot of people within tech companies who have their kids go to the Waldorf schools Waldorf schools don't allow computers or iPhones and different things. They're more about creative thinking and this and that. And it's funny. You'll see these in, like, Palo Alto and, like, some of the biggest tech communities. Like, you know. So I think uh, it's one of these things where it's about these tech companies realize what they're doing, at least the higher-level people do, and they're protecting their family. But whether they're going to raise a red flag and cause themselves to maybe get fired or disband from their uh, entire community is, you know, a major implication. Um, I really wish we did have a whistleblower within our film. I guess Wozniak is kind of a whistleblower in a way. But um, mm. I think that uh, the biggest thing is sometimes emails get leaked. And we have seen a lot of evidence with cell phone lobbyists of emails being leaked where they talk about trying to war game studies that have been done and studies that have major implications on parents uh, buying a cell phone for their kid. And I think that it's totally crucial that we continue to study this, especially with children and those effects. Um, currently, there's uh, a major long-term study being done uh, on cell phone radiation in children. I believe it's being done in the UK. It is not being done in the US, but there are about a, a dozen countries, I believe, involved with the study called Moby Kids. I'll definitely have to check that one out as well, like Kevin. We'll have to keep that in the show notes as well. Anyone who's interested in that, I think a lot of people will be. A lot of people are definitely interested in their kids, and I think that's what you talked about there with Steve Jobs and um, Barack Obama. That's that's really powerful because if them are not willing to like, if they understand the dangers a lot more so than um, the average person on the street, let's say, then it makes us think like, who's the one? Who's giving them the voice? Maybe they're not the voices that um, that were needed, and it's going beyond the um, Barack Obama, and it's going right into the companies who really control this government yeah, yeah. and really control the world. And those are the ones who's lobbying, like the fact that yes, it's safe, it's completely safe, and yeah, maybe maybe we do need an Edward Snowden out there who's ready to 
whistleblow on all this technology and all the understanding of all the dangers. I, I because like, I like if Barack Obama, mm-hmm. oops, sorry, I was going to say, because if Barack Obama is not willing to do it, then who will? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think that there's probably tons of emails out there that could really implicate people, and if uh, any cell phone lobbyists out there who are having a change of heart, you know, you can probably upload those to Julian Assange's website pretty easily without getting in trouble or getting getting known. But um, I think that the biggest fact would be, uh, you know, it just seems like uh, the more information that you get on this, whether it's leaked emails or scientific studies, it just seems to all point the compass in the direction of precaution and safety. And uh, at the end of the day, I, I don't think there's anything that these companies will lose from that either. But they have the ultimate goal of moving their stock, even if it's by 1%. And uh, certainly with the Samsung issue right now, with the exploding mobile phones, um, you know, that's an even bigger safety and health issue. Initially, we were going to cover that in the documentary with iPhones that were doing that. But it was such a low percentage of phones that it was happening to that we couldn't really... Um, justify putting it in the movie and it would sort of lead people off the track of the radiation and long-term effect. Um, but now it seems like it's more relevant because there are tons of these phones and it's a major recall. And it's like you can't really do a major recall on radiation from a phone. But that sort of happened with Google Glass. Um, and, you know, you can't buy that phone now. But that at the time was the highest radiation phone on the market and you wore it directly on your face. Oh, yeah. That's so scary, isn't it, man? Yeah. And a lot of venture capitalists, you can look this up as well, said that when they would try on the, the thing, they would feel like their face heating up. And, like, you know, some people would, like, even said that it might have long-term effects on cataracts and things like that. When I asked Google if they had what research they had on the long-term effects from Google Glass, they pointed me to an eye doctor who they probably lobbied and, you know, gave a substantial check to. And uh, this eye doctor had no study or anything that he could really point to. You know, it was like, no, but what about the long-term effects of wearing Google Glass on your face? And they had nothing. And when we, I, and I really wanted to get a quote from Google on it, and the spokesperson said, we, we won't do a quote. And I said, all right, well, the quote will be that you won't, you refuse to provide a quote and you don't want to speak on this. And and the video got like, you know, a couple thousand views after a, a few days of it being posted online. And then less than a week after that, Google pulled the Google Glass. So it's amazing what a YouTube video can do and the effects that you might have on a major company if you do post some crucial evidence out there and you do it in a nice, entertaining, funny way. Yeah, especially someone like the search engine company as well. Yeah, oh, yeah it was so obvious. It was like... You guys have the highest radiation phone on the market and have not done any long-term studies. And what's more than that is with the way that cell phones are tested, they can test them multiple times. And it doesn't matter if they didn't pass it the first time. If they passed it the second time, they're good. So it's sort of like a hurdle that anyone can jump over. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and it really – the stu- – the, the tests that they do, um, which is called the SAR rating or specific absorption rate of radiation rating, is essentially like they pour liquid gel in a giant mannequin head and put a phone next to it and measure it for 15 minutes. And that is how they they equate that phones are safe. <laughs> and for me, it just is like so laughable. Like, 
you know, beyond even bringing up the fact that what about pregnant women keeping them in their pockets and things like that, which they have no no real uh, safety implications for at all. They, you know, there's no nothing that they have to pass in order to be put on the market for that. But uh, even just looking at the head mannequin thing, that head is like in the 10 percentile of people. So no one has a head that's that huge except for 10% of people. And, <laughs> and this is the one that they're using. And then the material they're using is just liquid gel. It looks like something you'd put in your hair. And and so that obviously is not even close to brain matter in the way that brain matter works. So it just seemed like a really laughable study. And the fact that you only looked for 15 minutes, it's like, dude, this phone call we're on right now is over an hour. So, like... 15 minutes just seems laughable, but then you consider this um, regulation that every phone has to pass through was developed in 1996 and has never been updated since 1996. Wow. Wow. If you think, about, if you think about how much mobile phones have evolved from 96 to today, it, it's really quite quite laughable that, that we haven't done anything in terms of regulation or safety for human beings this planet yeah, uh, yeah. for this huge, huge mobile device. It, it makes you wonder where they're actually putting us, and that's, that's the scary part, like, really, isn't it? Yeah. And, Kevin, I know quite a while, like, quite, it's been quite a while since you did produce this documentary, but have you noticed, like, a positive move in terms of the direction that this information is now getting out there and being exposed by the mobile phone companies, or has this actually gone back further on itself? Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, I'd say I think it has had a positive effect out there. The the documentary, I think, has made more people aware and more people are changing their habits. Um, but in terms of the government and regulation there, it's, like, been pretty much even keel. Um, in Berkeley, we passed legislation successfully, and you could go to a cell phone store and get that warning. Um, but if you go pretty much anywhere else, uh, you in any other city that's not going to happen and now what's happening right now is the cell phone company even though it's already been passed um they're continuing to sue to try to pull the legislation and uh you know it's one of these things where they just continue to play it out over years and it's upsetting because you'll have city council members who unanimously vote in legislation only for it to be held up in court for several years and then other city council members decide that they don't agree with that legislation. So it, it's kind of wacky that, you know, our, our system of government has gone this far and somehow not not caused a huge collapse. Uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, we've seen a financial collapse, but uh, in terms of a, a public health collapse, I, I don't know. I think it's probably on the brink of uh, something going to happen. And I think, you know, to a certain extent, that's what it takes. It almost takes everyone knowing somebody who's died of brain cancer. Certainly in government, if you look at the White House, you have the vice president's son who just died of brain cancer recently. Um, he's a guy who can make a really big statement on this, I feel, uh, Joe Biden. And his son was pretty young to be getting brain cancer. So, yeah. I don't know. I think that uh, it's something that politicians really need to take up. Um, there are a lot of politicians who have done this, a lot of mayors we interviewed in our film, a lot of state senators. 
But uh, I think ultimately it comes down to a lot more of them doing that. Yeah, definitely, Kevin. I think as well. Ultimately, I think one of the big things as well. I know it's it's in the hands of like uh, the people who are presenting this information as well. But I think as well, ultimately, is it needs to be in the hands of us as well because it seems like no matter what research or evidence or even health hazard is brought forward, it seems to be that like like the human momentum is still going to keep like moving forward, full steam ahead. But I really, however, I still really feel that if only one person like adapts some of these issues that we've been talking about with deer. That's one more than before, and I think that's what will cause the ripple effect. Yeah, I think, you know, someone can really make a huge impact. In our documentary, we got to Wozniak, who has a huge implication for a lot of tech folks. I think getting someone really big in politics to really speak up would be huge. And, you know, we have lieutenant governors talking about it, but to have a vice president or a president speak on this issue, I think, would be massive. Unfortunately, I don't think the president who's going to speak on it is going to be Obama, but I yeah. think Joe Biden, he has a real personal investment now. I mean, like, you can give him as much money as possible. He lost his son. That's yeah. huge. But once again, maybe he's waiting until he's out of office before doing anything. Who knows? Um, maybe he just doesn't have the information that you guys have and that I have. You know, he's been fed all this information by his uh, people, and these people are getting their information from lobbyists and other people. So I think it really comes down to where are you getting your information from? Is it independent, or does it have a financial uh, tie to it? Mm, definitely. And I think after you go beyond the agenda, the agenda, the agenda, everyone has the agenda, and it might, even if someone doesn't have a like a son who has brain um, sorry, who had brain damage? Sorry, died from brain cancer. Mm-hmm. It just goes to show, like, what can someone do to really get this out there? And this is what I think this is most powerful right now is that the three of us are really pushing to get this out there, to get this knowledge to out available to the people, and hopefully it does get in the hands of someone who can actually hear it and, li- and really make a difference. Yeah, but Kevin. Yeah, so, sorry. Tons of people, you know, have reached out to me and said, you know, we we would like to really get this movie out and stream it online. Or we want to buy a public license to screen at our library, and and we're we're all about that. And you can find out more information about the film at mobilizemovie.com. Um, you can email us there. I'm pretty uh, pretty much the first person you you speak to when you email. And then um, in terms of if you're interested to get this movie out there to the public, uh, we can put you in touch with our distributor and uh, and really help to move this forward and. I think that it's one of these things where it comes down to individuals, uh, you know, doing what they can. I'm a filmmaker, so I made a movie. I think if I was a musician, I'd write a song about it. And I think there are a lot of songs about it that speak on the issue, but maybe they're done in a more subtle way. Um, I think of like Lady Gaga's telephone, for instance. She's saying she doesn't have time to talk on her phone because she's at the club. So you're going to get voicemail because she's going to turn off her phone. Um and that's the message of that song, if you really break it down and listen to the lyrics. It's crazy. Um, so I think that there are tons of examples of that in television and movies. And uh, I think it's about looking at those things now. And now that you've heard this conversation, you, you're going to look at things a little bit different, I feel. And uh, if you want to help us out and help move this documentary forward, you can contact us through mobilizemovie.com.
And uh, I really want to thank you guys again for having me on the show, and I, I really appreciate it, and appreciate you taking the time to talk about this. Ah, cool. Kevin, I'd just like to say thank you so much for your time, and it's it's been a great uh, podcast. Thank you so much. Thank yeah, you, thanks, brother. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the podcast. I really hope this episode inspires you to rethink the way that you use your technology, as it certainly did for me. Anyway, next week's episode will be our next instalment of the Seasons of Life Spirituality, where we ended up going deep into the woods to record that one. So anyway guys, I'll catch you next week. Peace.